Thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Our guest today is a woman with an amazing voice and a message to share. Kayla Steckline is an advocate for those confronting mental illness. On August 25th, 2018, Kayla lost her husband, Andrew, who was the pastor of Inland Hills Church in Chino, California, to suicide. In the wake of her overwhelming tragedy, she embarked on a brave journey to better understand Andrew's harrowing battle with mental illness and ultimately to overcome the stigma of suicide. She penned her whole story and message of hope in her new book, Fear Gone Wild, which is available everywhere now. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my interview with Miss Kayla Steckline. Kayla, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such an honor to sit down and have a conversation with you and hopefully um, bring people through some stigma. Thanks so much for having me. Honored to be here. Yeah. So how's quarantine been with you and your boys? (laughs) It's been a wild ride. They just went back to school yesterday. So I feel like I can breathe again. They've been home with me since March. I feel like at first I was super excited. Like the adrenaline of like, this is new. I think it to be home all the time. Like we get to go do fun stuff, like cool. And then I think over time that like slowly wore off (laughs) and the reality of like, oh my gosh, my three little boys are here all of the time. Three boys. That had to be interesting. Did you have people coming in and out even through quarantine or was it just you all the time? No, I had, I had some help. I have a phenomenal babysitter that's been watching them for goodness. I think the last like six years she's watched them for me and she's wonderful. So she helps me at least once a week and yeah, we just get out a lot with boys. It's like, you have to go places. So I think being stuck at home was so hard. You know, we were on lockdown for a couple of weeks and that was probably the hardest part. Um, but we're constantly like, out and about at the beach or at the park or at the mountains or whatever. They just want to be out of the house and they're happier when they're out of the house. So (laughs) we're trying to get creative with the lockdown, but they're back at school and we're all really excited about that. Well, that's awesome. I grew up with three brothers and we were two sets of twins, 18 months apart. And I feel for my mom and I feel for you, like (laughs) that had to be a journey, especially if you had multiple in diapers at one time, I couldn't imagine at all. (laughs) (laughs) So in the intro, I hit a little bit about your story and all, but I'd love to open the floor up for you to just share about what you've experienced with your family over the past few years. Sure. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I was living my dream life. I really had everything that I'd ever hoped for or wished for and more. I was married to my dream guy. His name was Andrew. We had met in college and fell in love really fast and got married and started a family and started serving in the church. And so he was a pastor and we had three little boys And we, and our life was good. You know, he was leading our large, thriving, growing church. Um, He had led our church through a very difficult season when his father, who was the lead pastor of the church, had been diagnosed with leukemia. And my husband had stepped up to the plate and led strong and was welcomed with open arms as the lead pastor. And so it was a really just beautiful, um, heartbreaking time for our family. You know, those first really seven years of marriage mm. and life and walking through that journey with his dad. And then the exciting part of him becoming the pastor, like it really was this roller coaster of a journey. 
but I still loved my life. I loved being a pastor's wife. I um, found my unique calling and his calling. You know, my husband's calling became my calling, his purpose, my purpose, his dreams, my dreams. Like I really was devoted to him and devoted to where we were leading the church together. And then in the fall of 2017, he started experiencing panic attacks and they were happening about three to four times a week and just really scary, really debilitating. It would take over his whole body, mostly when he would try to fall asleep um, and his hands and feet would go numb. He would be trembling. He would be weeping. He had this intense pain in his chest and Anytime I would try to speak to him when he was in the middle of a panic attacks, it, it was like he wasn't there. Um, it was like something else had taken over him. And it, it was like this fear that was raging inside of him just went wild. And we kind of just had to wait it out until they would go away. And so those were happening really often. And we were like seeing doctors trying to get to the bottom of what was happening. And so it took months, lots of testing. He actually ended up having a massive panic attack in April of 2018 um, that landed him in the hospital and they ran even more tests then and they like didn't find anything. Like, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's causing the panic attacks. And our family was like, okay, we don't know what's going on, but we know we can't live like this anymore. And so yeah. we put him on a sabbatical and he started this journey. And so two weeks into his sabbatical, um, we were sitting in a psychiatrist office and he was diagnosed with depression. And he was really relieved to have a diagnosis. He was relieved to finally have some answers as to why he had been having these panic attacks. And I was actually really shocked. You know, I, I really, truly never saw it coming. Um, I should have maybe seen the signs and maybe should have saw it coming in a lot of different ways. Um, but I was really shocked. I'll never forget walking back to the car with him and turning and looking at him with tears in my eyes saying, how did we end up here? In my eyes, my husband was resilient. He was driven. He was brilliant. I mean, he could do anything he set his mind to and he would run straight for it. So to see him in so much pain and to see him have to sit on the sidelines for a season was heartbreaking. So we were doing everything we knew to do um, to get him better. He was seeing the psychiatrist every other week. He was taking medication. We were seeing a therapist for two hours mm -hmm. every week. Um, he did solo trips by himself to go mm -hmm. spend time with God. We did trip a trip together, just the two of us without the kids to go to spend time together. And really, we were doing everything on paper we knew to do to get him better. And sure. the doctors actually thought he was getting better. And so they released him to go back to work in August of 2018 and he hit the ground running, you know, he really wanted to use his experience with depression and, and anxiety to help others. And so he got on the stage and he talked about depression he talked about anxiety. He talked about suicide, gave out the suicide hotline number, gave out statistics from the NAMI website. Like he knew all the facts he would have known where to go for help. And then headed into the third week, um, he was excited about the weekend. I mean, he had his message ready to go. We had a big team rally that was scheduled for that Friday night. Like he was pumped and excited about the weekend and excited about his message. And um, on Thursday of that week, he just really had an awful day and um, really had like what I can only describe as a mental breakdown. I know that's an old term, but he had this like this mental break. And so for our family and for our staff, it was kind of just this, whoa, maybe he's not, maybe he wasn't ready to go back to work. Like maybe we need to take a couple steps back. Like mm -hmm. maybe, um, maybe he needs to do some more therapy or do some more healing or do some more treatment. And so the next day while we were away from him for just a little bit, you know, making those phone calls, scheduling a guest speaker for Sunday, trying to call different pastors and places, trying to seek counsel and advice on what to do next for his healing. He attempted suicide. 
And we were completely shocked and completely stunned, like really, truly never saw it coming. And the doctors too were completely shocked, completely stunned. Like they, we all really thought he was getting better. Mm. And so he was rushed to the hospital and they ran a bunch of tests. And and unfortunately there was nothing that they could do. And so on August 25th, 2018, he passed away and I was handed a brand new life as a widow and single mom of three little boys who were two, four, and five at the time. And I've kind of become um, this mental health advocate overnight as well. So in all of that, I was also handed this microphone um, that I never asked for, um, but I couldn't look away. Um, I saw right away, you know, through speaking, through sharing our story, through writing letters to him, um, just the lives that were being changed and the lives that were being literally saved from suicide and the way that, um, just God was using our story, um, to redeem other people's stories. So I continued to write and continue to speak and it all evolved into this book that came out a couple of weeks ago. And it's just been a crazy couple of years, a wild, wild couple of years. It has. And I'm Sorry you had to go through that, but God's using you in such a mighty way. And even I remember at the time I was working for AT&T and I remember seeing the CNN news break come up with Andrew on it and August 25th is my birthday. So it was like something I remember very, very clearly and myself, I struggle with panic disorder. So even before I got on this call today, I was supposed to go for a spa day with my friend Trent and I was just having crippling anxiety. And I was like, you know, I need to take a few steps back and take care of myself. And he's like, you know, it's a spa. Like what's wrong with that? It is a spa. And I'm like, if you go on my Instagram, I posted a few days ago, a video from 2018 after I attempted to go for a spa day during a uh, mental episode and it didn't turn out too well. So Mm -hmm. it's like learning for myself that people do struggle and sometimes they, the healing isn't necessarily as we would expect it to be. Um, I love in your book how you drop the term that you shouldn't say someone committed suicide. They died by suicide because sometimes their illness is a little bit more complex than we all can see. Can you uh, share a little bit on how you came to that conclusion? Yeah, you know, right away, I... um I just learned so much after he passed away. I learned all the right things to say. And I right away just saw all the things I did wrong. Um, I'll never forget. There was one time Andrew mentioned suicide to me and I, I talk about it in the book as well, but Mm I, you know, before he passed away, I would have seen suicide as this selfish thing. Like, Oh my goodness, the person that committed suicide was so selfish. How could they do that to their family? And those are some of the things that I said to him in that moment when he was trying to be vulnerable and honest with me, I just really, truly didn't understand. And so after he passed away, I went on this journey to understand and to better understand. And as I'm grieving and as I'm explaining um, this loss to my kids, I'm like, how can I do this in a way 
that um, the blame and the shame isn't on anybody. It's not on Andrew. It's not on me. It's not on the church. It's not on the medication. Like it really truly isn't anybody's fault. And I can say that with full confidence, like the suicide really truly isn't anybody's fault. And I, and I know that Andrew would have never chosen it. He didn't want to die. He just wanted his pain to end. And that's the lie of suicide that it, it will take away your pain. But all it does is take the pain that you're carrying and heap it onto the shoulders of the people that you love the most. And so he just wanted to escape that pain. And so I think um, pointing to the pain instead of pointing to the person and that small shift in language um, from committed to died by suicide makes such a big difference. Um, Committed is a word we attach to phrases like committed a sin or committed a murder or committed a crime. And all it does is heap that shame and blame onto the shoulders of the person who died. That's why the, the best phrase to use is died by suicide. It clearly sends the message that the death is the result of an underlying physical illness that we know nothing about. You know, we really, truly do not understand unless we are in their shoes, what it, what it feels like to live with what they're living with, live with the pain that they're living with and to, um, we'll never know what those moments were like for Andrew leading up to his death. Like I really, truly will never know. Um, and so I've just chosen to see it differently. I've chosen to, Um, just see the suicide as something that happened to him instead of something that he chose. And that's been really healing for me um, because I think it can feel like how, how dare they, you know, if we see it the other way, it's like, how dare they do that to me? That is the most selfish thing they could ever do. And so I think zooming out and seeing it for what it is and that, you know, his, his mind was sick Hmm. and he wasn't able to think clearly and he wasn't able to access the rational part of his brain. And he really was trying to fight to stay, And he was just overwhelmed with pain. And so having that empathy and compassion instead of that judgment and criticism. And I think it'll be really helpful for my kids as they grieve and as they learn more about their dad and about what happened to their dad as they get older to have that perspective of like, he didn't choose to leave you when you were a little kid, you know, he was sick and his death was the result of this, this, this invisible battle that he Mm. was, that was raging inside of his mind. And, um, right after he passed in the hospital, you had a moment with your mother-in-law where you asked her, is he in heaven? And her answer was just so graceful. Would you share a little bit about that conversation? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest myths, um, in Christian culture about suicide and even outside of Christian culture, it's just this myth that's been around for centuries. And it's that when somebody dies by suicide, it's this unforgivable sin. And it's like a straight ticket to hell. <laughs> like you will yeah. not go to heaven because you died by suicide. And so I, 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 I believed that, you know, I had, I had picked that up somewhere along the way. And so I learned out nowhere, but I did pick that up somewhere along the way. And so I, leaned over the bed. Um, as my husband lay dying in the bed, I leaned over and asked his mom, like, is he going to go to heaven? And I was so concerned, you know, I really truly didn't understand. And I remembered this movie that I watched, um, in high school in art class with Robin Williams, where his wife dies by suicide and she's like trapped in hell. And so it was like remembering, I forget what it's called. It's a really beautiful movie. And they, they end up going to heaven at the end, spoiler alert, but you know, I had picked it up somewhere along the way. And so I asked her, um, will he go to heaven? And I'll never forget her response to me was like, our salvation does not hinge on the way we die it hinges on our personal relationship with Jesus. And so I know that Andrew loved God. He was running to God in his pain. He was running to God in his depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. Like 
I would walk into the bedroom some days and he would be blasting worship music in his headphones and weeping. Like he really was running to God and God didn't heal him this side of heaven, but that doesn't um, mean that he doesn't get to go to heaven. And so that was just so comforting to me. Um, And that was one of the biggest negative um, responses I got from people was how, how can you say that he's in heaven when he died by suicide? And so I wrote, I actually wrote a blog just maybe a month after he passed away. And I included that in there um, just because it was so helpful for me to, um, to better understand that and have the, that perspective. And even the um, Catholic, I think it's called the catechism. Is it mm-hmm. the catechism? They've changed that. They it used to say, you know, it used to say that, and yeah. they've over time they've um, adapted new language and understanding, and and they've changed that as well. And so I think that we're coming a long way in that, um, but I think we still have a long way to go in bridging the gap between mental health and the church. Yeah, and I started asking that question last year um, when we lost Jared Wilson to suicide. Um, that was when it really first hit home that, you know, people in your life are sometimes are battling with more than meets the eye. And the first question I asked was, is he in heaven? And, you know, that's something I've been studying since then and trying to rally people towards the truth instead of like these folk tales that still live on from prior generations. And it's like there's so much pain when suicide comes, because even of course, like if you don't understand suicide and depression and anxiety and the things that lead up to people um and initially losing their life to this illness. If you don't understand suicide and you don't understand mental health, you're not going to understand how they died. Um, your picture of a suicide when you're uneducated on mental health is not the reality of what it is. And this book is a result of the most tragic and challenging season of your life, losing your husband to suicide. You were in pain yourself. You were now a, a single mother to your boys that are your life. And I'm sure you see bits and nuggets of their dad in them every single day. How did you find the strength in your words to just get through this pain? I would say I'm still getting through it. Hmm. I think the biggest thing that I've learned in walking through grief is that that pain doesn't just go away. Um, it's learning how to live with the pain. And I think that that's my encouragement to anybody that's wrestling with suicidal thoughts too, and is struggling with, um, those thoughts of wanting to end their pain forever is that there is a way to live with the pain. Like learning to live with the pain is possible. It's possible to have this overwhelming pain yet choose to build this beautiful life around it. And so, you know, I've struggled with suicidal thoughts since he passed away. Like the pain is and has been so overwhelming and so unrelenting and so debilitating. We're like, I don't know how I can face this again. I don't know how I can get out of bed and like do my life again. I did not choose this. I did not sign up for this. I did not sign up to be a single mom and this like mental health advocate. Like I did not sign up for this. Like who signs up to write the book about suicide and mental illness? Like, especially as their first book ever, like no one signs up to do that. And so there's some days where that pain is so overwhelming. And I'm like, I just don't want to do my life. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think walking through that has really given me even deeper understanding um, and empathy and compassion for Andrew and his pain. And just that getting that close to the edge of like, man, I just don't want to do this. This is so overwhelming. Um, but what I've learned, I because of what I've walked through, I know suicide isn't the solution. Um, it only causes more pain and I can never do that to my children. Um, hmm. But what I've learned in my journey of grief is that living with the pain is possible. And so it's an everyday choice to um, choose hope, to defiantly choose joy, to um, honor the pain and hold the pain and embrace the pain while also honoring the one life that I've been given and honoring um, the, the hope and the joy and the peace that, that God has given me too in this season. And so it's this tension of both of um, sorrow and joy. And my oldest son Smith um, described it so well. He had this little mother's day makeover at his school um, the first mother's day after my husband passed away and it was super cute. All the moms come with their makeup bags and the kids like do their hair and like do crazy makeup all over their face. And it's really cute. And so we had this one fill in the blank, um, for, for mother's day, this big piece, piece of paper with all these cute little fill in the blanks. Like a mom, my mom's favorite food is this, or I love it when my mom does this. And so, you know, they're hilarious and so cute. And so we had this one line on that piece of paper and it said, I love it when my mom takes me to the cemetery and takes me to Disneyland, literally the saddest place on earth and the happiest place on earth in the same sentence. And that's our reality. It's one foot in the happiest place on earth and the other foot in the saddest place on earth. For them, it's the reality of one parent in heaven and one parent on earth. And it's holding both. Um, it's honoring the pain, but also honoring the one life we've been given. Mm. And so, yeah, that's been the last two years. And I would say that I'm still there, you know, it's not like two years later, I'm all of a sudden like time heals all wounds and I'm all of yeah. a sudden better. Like, that's just not true. Um, I think over time it'll become less frequent and less intense that that big ball of grief just crushes me. Um, but that same confusing, um, pit in my stomach, elephant on my chest, that same overwhelming pain that I felt the very first day the suicide happened, like I will carry that same pain with me for the rest of my life. And there may be time 15 years from now where I, I smell a certain smell or drive by a certain place or see a certain picture or hear a certain song. And that pain just comes rushing back mm -hmm. in. And so, yeah, I think I've learned a lot about, um, grief and pain and, uh, resilience and just choosing, um, choosing joy when joy seems really far away. Wow. And in the book, you also use the word wilderness to describe, um, those seasons of your life that are a little bit darker. Can you explain where you came to the conclusion that that was the word you wanted to use and how that's helped in your life? Yeah, I would say for me, it's been like two very different wilderness journeys. It was the wilderness journey with my husband and his mental illness and where God really felt very far away. You know, it felt like both of us were crying out to God and asking him for healing and asking him to intervene and asking him to just heal Andrew and help him to feel better and to stop being so debilitated by this depression and, and God just seemed really silent. Um, and it was like more, where are you, God? Why aren't you fixing this? Why aren't you intervening? Like, why are my prayers just falling flat? I'll never forget. I think it was the, the week that he passed away. I had this moment with him where I was praying over him 
And immediately after I was done praying, he walked outside in frustration. And I felt so frustrated with God, like, God, I am trying everything I can do in my power to like be there for him and comfort him and like try to try to be your love with skin on for him. Like I'm trying everything. Like how come he's still so frustrated? How come he's still in so much pain? How come you're not fixing this? And then it was like, after he passed away, I was thrown into this really deep pain and this really dark season and this like overwhelming, like I cannot believe that happened. And, and, and really God, like, okay, like you allowed the depression to happen. And wow, you also allowed suicide to happen. Like, how do I, how do I, um, grapple with that in my faith? Like, how do I still believe that you're a good God and that you can still, um, use this for good in the midst of my overwhelming pain and my frustration that you allowed this to happen, that that you allowed this to be filtered through your hands. And so I entered this other wilderness season of, um, gosh, God, how, how could you allow this to happen? But also at the same time, it's like, God, God, where, where are you when I was with Andrew and then Andrew passed away and literally it felt like God was everywhere and Mm. everything all of the time. And I was able to see right away um, his hand at work using that horrible season and Andrew's death for good. And that didn't, for me, that didn't, um, that never will um, be enough for the loss. Like Mm. the loss will always be greater um, than what God has done for me personally. Like the loss is just so great and so deep and nothing will ever, um, nothing will ever be enough to satisfy like what I lost. Um, but I've seen just the goodness of God and what he can do and how he can use something so horrific and so horrible on this dry desert season for good. And so I think that's where I got that idea from is just like, God will put us through some really like hard things. Like we will suffer. None of us are exempt from suffering. None of us are exempt from pain. We will all walk through hard things. It's just part of being human. And there will be times in our faith journey, even when God seems really far away and we're asking, where are you, God? Why aren't you fixing this? Why did you allow this to happen? Um, But it's really, truly clinging to him and believing that even though he allowed that horrible, awful thing to happen, that he can still use it for good and that he's using that wilderness season um, to develop this perseverance and endurance in us that he can use for good as well. And I've just seen that in my personal life of how he's done that and continues to do that. And I just kind of sit back in the awe and mystery of all of it, um, of all of it, of my whole life, just the awe and mystery of, I cannot believe that I have that life with Andrew. I cannot believe that that life is gone. And I cannot believe that I'm sitting in this new life. Like all of it is painful. All of it is beautiful. All of it is mysterious. Um, and I know that I'll never understand it. Um, but that God can still use it for good. Mm-hmm. So many people have found strength in the midst of their own grief by walking alongside your journey of public grief. How is sharing so much on social media and through your book helped you in that grieving process? It was kind of just this natural outpour of my pain. And I think it was the response. I wrote him a letter just three days after he passed away. And I think it was the response from that letter 
that um, just stirred in me this desire to keep writing and to keep sharing. And I saw, you know, the response from that letter, how God was literally saving people's lives. I got so many direct messages and emails and people stopping me at the grocery store and at the school drop-off, basically saying that my public grief saved their life or saved the life of someone that they knew, or they finally called the therapist and told him how bad it was, or their husband finally checked himself into rehab, or they, instead of pulling the trigger, they decided to stay. Like Mm. there's these unbelievable stories were pouring in. And I was like, who am I to um, walk away from what God can do? Who am I to, um, look away. Who am I to put down the microphone he's handed me? And so I just kept writing and I just kept sharing from my vulnerable place of pain. And it isn't always, um, you know, it's not something I ever asked for. I would have never asked for any of this. Um, but it's really been beautiful to see just being willing to say the word suicide, being willing to talk about what happened and being willing to just be vulnerable, just the power of vulnerability and the Mm -hmm. power of just being real and raw. And, you know, I think that's maybe what's different about me and my journey is that it is like really real and really raw. And like my social media page and a lot of the blogs that I've written are like this living, breathing journal of what I'm walking through in my day to day. And I think, um, a lot of people can relate just to the pain, pain is pain is pain. And, um, it's just been really beautiful to see how God has used all of it. How do you feel like the experiences that you've gone through has shaped you as a mother and raising your three boys and helping them to become men? Um, I know you have a lot of people surrounding you, helping and pouring in when you need those days off. You have people you can call. But for you personally, Kayla, as a mother, how do you feel like this has shaped you and the strength that came along with it to raise your boys in the way that God intended you to? Death has changed the way I live. It has changed the way that I see everything. Mm. And so the way that I parent, the way that I see my kids is so different. You know, I think so often you're so close as a parent, like you're so close, you're with them all the time. Like they're, they're around 24 seven, that there's little things that can get on your nerves and um, just little things that can bug the snot out of you. And I think after Andrew passed away, it's like those little things just became like so small. Yeah. And I was able to really, um, I feel like it changed the way that I love my kids and that might sound so strange, but I think it's really changed the way that I love my kids. And, um, it's, it's changed the way that I'm like transparent and honest with my kids. Like they know, you know, I'm just super honest. Like I'm missing dad today. I'm having a bad day today. I'm, you know, really sad today and we'll sit together and we'll sit in that and we'll talk about Andrew and we'll talk about grief and we'll talk about heaven and we'll talk about death. And I feel like all that, what we've experienced together, um, has brought us even so much closer together. And, you know, the way that I am with the world and being raw and open and transparent is the same way that I am with my kids. Like even this morning, my son Smith forgot his shoes. I'm taking him to school. Second day, like back on campus, he's about to hop out of the car. He's like, Oh no, my shoes. (laughs) And I got so, I was mad. I'm like, dude, I just like hustled to get here. You're here on time. Like this is, I don't want to go all the way back to the house to get your shoes. Like this is so frustrating. And I got mad and I didn't like, I reacted instead of like taking a deep breath and responding. 
but even after, like we got back to the school, he had his shoes on and I gave him a big hug and I said, I'm so sorry. I made such a big deal over shoes. Like it really isn't a big deal. I shouldn't have gotten mad at you. So I think, you know, I think it's really just changed my perspective on just, um, treating my kids like, like real human beings, like being, um, real and honest when I mess up and when I make mistakes and, um, just trying to be that, um, real, raw, authentic force of love in their life. Like, I'm going to love you no matter what, whether you forgot your shoes or not. And if I mess up, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. And the little thing that little things need to stay little things. And like the bigger picture is that we're all in this together and we love each other and we're going to get through this together. And I think for me, it's modeling, um, that resilience for them. And so it's like writing the book is a huge part of modeling that for them of like showing them that we can choose life and that we can choose joy and that we can choose to move forward when really bad things happen to us. And so I think a part of it, for me, um, is being that role model for them and, and being it authentically, like in our home and publicly and in our home as well. I'm not just this public person that like has all the right things to say, but I'm also like just this force of love in our home. Um, you know, that I mess up and I make mistakes and I'm not perfect. Um, but I'm trying to do the best that I can. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing that popped in my head when you said that uh, Smith left his shoes at home, you had to go all the way back to get them. It's <laughs> like, for me as a speaker and doing events and such, like when you talked about your husband supposed to be on stage in like five minutes and they came and got you and you prayed with them and everything. I had a moment last year. Um, I was doing a tour and it was the biggest show of the tour. And, you know, I'm supposed to be that person that's standing up for anxiety and talking about overcoming it. And, you know, God's done that in my life. And luckily I'm still here to talk about it. And I was having a full on panic attack right when I was supposed to go out and share about God bringing me through that and how I fight through it daily. And, you know, you can even compare that to like, I I could easily say that I left my shoes at home that day, but I found them and God put them on for me and I was able to go out and do it. And it's like, there's so much in our life that can cripple us, like anxiety, even today, like me being vulnerable, I felt it like I had to take some steps towards like self-care and being healthy myself and making sure that I don't take steps in the wrong direction and become a statistic. I want to know that like, people hear this interview with you and hear your message and how you're being so strong for not only just your boys, but for millions of people that are watching you. It, it, I'm sure at first it was unsettling. Like you said, you would have never asked for it. Who wants to write their first book on mental health? Me, but it's like not in that perspective. Like I could never sit here and say that I understand what you went through. I don't think anybody can. Everybody copes and grieves differently. And God's using you in such an amazing way to do that. And I just commend you for walking forward and what you're doing. And even the days that you don't want to, you put a smile on your face, you wake the boys up, you get them ready for school, like whatever your daily routine looks like, it it's not always easy. And I don't even have to ask you, I can assume that. 
And God's just moving so graciously through your life and through your vulnerability and through the things that you may not want to do. Like you may get tired of talking about this eventually, but God's going to keep pressing for you, keep pressing for you and give you the strength to do it. So first off, just thank you for being vulnerable and being bold and transparent enough to share the story that God's gifted you with. The tragedy and the pain and all that you've gone through does not go unnoticed. It's it's almost like you have to search for the beauty and all the rage, but you've God's given you the brain and the wisdom to craft that perfectly. And your book, Fear Gone Wild, I just finished it today. And it's just such an amazing anthem for people that need to know, like, you know, some people have lost their spouse to suicide and they haven't fully coped with it yet. And I feel like this book is going to be a resource for them. This book is going to be a resource for people that are struggling with mental health herself. I can relate with so many of the things that Andrew went through and then like so much more than that. And it's like, okay, I stopped going to therapy because I feel like I'm good, but how do I know that I don't need to continuously go just to make sure that I'm fine? And maybe one day when I get married that I have my bootstraps on good and ready to stick around and go to war um, and help people overcome their mental health issues, which is exactly what you're doing. And I feel like for me personally, hearing your story and hearing the vulnerability and just the deep details that a lot of people would try to hide you've you did your best not to mask them you put it out there for people to see so thank you for your vulnerability thank you for sharing with us so many people are going to hear even this and hopefully they go buy the book um they're not alone and god's got this so thank you thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and i do have one more question for you what would you say to one person that might be struggling with either the loss of a loved one by suicide or maybe even considering suicide for themselves? What would your reminder be to the person that's struggling with a thought for themselves? And what would your word of encouragement be for the person that's grieving? For both of those people, I would just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for your overwhelming pain. And you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And If you feel alone in your grief, if you feel alone in your suicidal thoughts, like keep reaching out for help. If you feel like no one understands you, if you feel like your spouse doesn't understand you, if you feel like your friends don't understand you, if you feel like your family doesn't understand you, keep reaching out for help. Keep trying to find people that do understand you because there are people who want to understand you and who want to sit with you and who want to be invited into your pain. And so invite those people into your pain. Let people know how you're really doing. Um, Be honest with yourself. If you're struggling with suicidal thoughts and you haven't told somebody, maybe today is the day to tell somebody, pick up the phone, make the phone call, tell somebody that you're struggling. Like you should not be struggling with those thoughts alone. Mm. Um, And yeah, just that you're not alone. You know, we're really in this together and that, Living with the pain is possible. I think I said that earlier, but just living with that overwhelming pain is possible and building a beautiful life around that pain is possible too. Mm. Keep going. Wow. 
if you're struggling today and you're listening to this, please, 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 just like Kayla just said, reach out for help. There are so many amazing resources available to you. If you go to anthemofhope.org, there's amazing resources, including a hope line there for you. If you go to deathtolife.com, there are people there that want to talk to you 24-7, the suicide hotline, the crisis text line, heartsupport.com. There's just so many amazing resources and so many people that are willing to sit down and have the conversation with you and including me if you reach out on instagram or whatever i'll do my best to be there and point you in the right direction but please 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 reach out to someone take that step that you need to take towards getting better today because this illness does not define you your struggles aren't meant to go through alone and just because you're struggling with anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts it doesn't make you any less human than you are God has so much purpose for you. God's got this. And there's so much reason that you should stay alive. There's so many reasons that God's going to keep you here. And just keep in mind that you're stronger than your symptoms. You're stronger than your anxiety. You're stronger than your depression. You're stronger than the suicidal thoughts. All of those things are symptoms and God can heal you from those. Just take the correct steps. Take the right steps to getting help today. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Miss Kayla Steckline. You can find her on Instagram at Kayla Steck. And you can also go check them out on their God's Got This website. Go pick up her new book, Fear Gone Wild, wherever you purchase your books. And I highly recommend the Audible resource because it's amazing. And I finished it in a day. So go pick that up. We love you guys. Go reach out if you need help. God loves you. God's got this. And we'll talk to you guys next week.